Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expositive story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Hey, welcome back. If you remember last time, I left you on day six, and I said that we came to the high point of creation. Everything else God had created up to this point was fantastic. I mean, good grief. He created the universe. He created stars upon stars and stars we haven't even begun to see. And he created the sun and he created fish and birds and animals. But nothing compares to what he is about to create next. And if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, it's found in verse 26. God says, let us make man in our own image mind-blowing highest point of creation he says let us make man in our own image now how do i know that it's the high point it's because god changes his language here you know before he says let there be light and there was light let there be stars and the sun and he spoke things into existence but here it seems like it's much more of an intimate creation where God says, let us. Now that word us, you're going to say, I thought God was one. Well, we might be looking here at an early hint of the Trinity, right? God is one, but also God is made up of three persons, right? God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And so when you read it here, he says, let us. This is such an exciting thing. Let us make man. Other people say that us is just this idea of a plurality of majesty, which is a big word for joy. God is so excited about what he's about to make. He just exudes with joy. Let us. Again, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has existed eternally. No beginning, no end. And they have existed in nothing but love and joy. And they are just letting that love and joy burst out in the creation of man. He says, let us make man in our own image. What do you think that means to make man in, in God's image? Does that mean God has two eyes, a nose, a mouth? Does that mean God has two ears? Do we look just like God? Does God look just like us? No, because the Bible says God is spirit. God doesn't look like man at all. So what does this mean now? This is a huge concept. And people have written books and books and way smarter people than I have tried to discern what it means to be created in God's image. 
And I'm not that brilliant. But I'm going to give you two things that I believe being created in God's image means. Number one, it does not mean that you're a little God. It does not mean that you've been created with some spark of divinity in you. No, because the Bible is clear. There is one God and his name is Yahweh. And we're supposed to worship him. We have no spark of divinity. We are not little gods. Secondly, I do know this, that to be created in God's image means to be created as an image bearer. Let's say someday I became an ambassador to China from the United States. Well, I'm bearing the image of the United States to the Chinese people. Or I am bearing the image of the United States to the Luxembourgian people if I happen to go over there. Or the British people if I happen to be an ambassador there. I'm an image of what it means to be a United States person over to that group of people. Well, it's the same thing here. God says, I am creating man and woman in my image, to be my image bearer on this earth, to go forth and to say, this is what God wants, and to have dominion over the fish and the sea. And in verse 26, it says, I'm going to create you in my own image after our likeness so that you can have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the livestock. And so he creates man in his own image. And then he says, go forth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we are God's image bearer here on earth. But remember I told you about worldviews last time? You know, I said that Genesis 1 is all about worldviews. And one of the biggest worldviews we learned last time was that everything was created by God. Do you remember that? Well, here we hit a major worldview. And this is it. That if men and women are created, or men and women are created in the image of God, then that means this. Every life is precious because it's created in the image of God. Every life is precious because they were created in the image of God. Now let that sink in. You know, it doesn't matter how little you are, how young you are. If you are created, if you are a human being, you're created in the image of God and you matter. If you're 98 and old or as old as me, 50, you know, whatever you think is old and you're like, ah, sort of put them out the pasture, forget about them. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. It says everybody, old, young, people with physical disabilities, people who are struggling with health, people who aren't perfect in how they can run or they don't look beautiful or whatever you happen to have, you know, all of us together, whatever we look like, whatever things we struggle with, maybe we don't have all the physical capabilities that everybody else has, but God says you matter. Because you're created in the image of God. And you know what? That should really change how we treat people, shouldn't it? Kids, next time you're at school and you're tempted to make fun of that kid who, you know, maybe he's in a wheelchair. Or you're tempted to make fun of that kid who's got a speech impediment. Or make fun of that kid who, you know, smells or isn't as cool. Or every time he plays sports, he misses the ball and he can't hit a ball, you know, whatever is cool in fourth or fifth grade, and you make fun of them, I want you to stop. 
And I want you to realize that you are making fun of somebody who's created in the image of God. Or maybe you're tempted to make fun of somebody because they smell or they don't look right or they don't wear the right clothes or their hair isn't cool. You know, whatever it happens to be. Or maybe you make fun of a teacher because they've got some sort of physical disability and you're like, hey, I'm going to make fun of them behind their back, putting them down. No. The Bible says all life matters because why? They're created in the image of God. Now, I don't have time to go into it all, but the image of God means a whole lot more. It also means like we're created for relationships and we're created for relationship with God in particular. But I just want to stress to you, it's important to remember all lives matter. Some of the cultures that the Israelis were about to go conquer, you know, in the promised land, the Israelites were about to go in. Some of them had a very low opinion, low view of certain people, you know, and certain stages of life weren't important. And Moses wanted his people to know, no, to the Jewish people, if you're going to follow Yahweh, everyone's created in the image of God and all lives matter. So it says that God, on day six, created man in his own image. It says he created a male and female, created them those two genders. And then he says, hey, I want you, like I said earlier, to go forth and fill the earth. You know, this is called, big word here, the creation mandate. All right. God wanted Adam and Eve to fill the earth, the first man and woman to fill the earth. And it's not just a creation mandate to fill it with people, just to have babies. It's not just that. This idea of, hey, fill the earth with ideas, fill the earth with great structures, you know, create, be inventive, create awesome things, fill this earth with great, wonderful ideas and concepts. Get busy, go forth do produce children. That does matter. But man, be creative. Fill this whole earth. And God said at the end of day six, when he looked at his creation, he said it was very good. Remember, it's just a awesome good. The whole thing was very good. Man, this was great. And then on day seven, it's exhausting doing creation and it says on day seven that God rested now does God tire no does God need to rest no is it exhausting for God to create no because he's almighty God it says in the book of Isaiah that our God never tires you know we grow weary we grow faint but we have a God who never tires and never grows weary no, I think here in day seven, God was setting an example. He's teaching all his followers. You know, again, Moses wants his people to know that God says, all right, on day seven, I want you to stop from work. And I want you to take a break. You can't just work seven days a week and keep going, going, going. No, you've got to stop. You have got to take a break. You physically cannot work that much. You know, our God is the only God who says to his followers, hey, I want you to take a vacation once a week. Just take a vacation. Just stop from all your labor. Stop from all your work. 
I mean, that's awesome. Later on, the Jewish people called this the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to do any work. They all had to get everything done, all their cooking, all their cleaning, everything, because on the seventh day, they were supposed to stop. No more work. Just take it easy. Take a vacation. And God is modeling to us, hey, you need to stop. But hey, when you do stop, God says, think about me. Because notice it says there, you know, this whole idea of about the Sabbath on the seventh day. If you turn to Genesis chapter 2, he talks about on the seventh day to make it holy, to rest, to stop, to cease from your labors and to make it holy. And I think that's so important that, yes, let's take a vacation. Let's stop. Let's do something we enjoy on it. Let's, let's take a Sabbath rest once a week. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It doesn't have to be, you know, the Sunday. A lot of people do take Sundays off, but it could be any day. But you just need to stop. But in your stopping, in your resting, you know, as you're playing a video game you decide to play today, think about who God is. Take some time out, maybe memorize some verses, sing some praise songs, sing some hymns. Maybe resting for you is reading a good book or watching a great television show, you know, whatever it happens to be. That is awesome. But if you could also honor God, that'd be great. And think about all the things that God has given you and praise him for it, all the blessings he's poured out upon you in that previous week. So God rested on that seventh day, and we need to rest too. Well, we're in Genesis chapter 2, and there's lots of cool stuff there right at the beginning where Moses talks about how the earth was watered back then and how, how, how a mist came out of the ground. But you know what's really interesting about chapter 2? is Moses dives even more deeply into the creation of man and woman. Because I think he knew people were going to mess that up. And I think he also knew that there were lots of different worldviews out there about how humanity, men and women, were created. And he's like, I've got to tell my people more about what's happening here. And so he begins here in Genesis 2, again, laying out all these cool things that I, I'd encourage you to read. But what I want to look at is on day six, here we have all these animals these awesome animals that God created. But then in verse 7, it says, the Lord God. Now, stop there a second. What's really cool, I think, is between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, the name of God switches. In Genesis chapter 1, it's L, E-L, L said, God said. But here in Genesis chapter 2, we get the most intimate name of God, Yahweh. In fact, we don't even really know how to say it. It's just the, it's Y-H-W-H, because the Hebrew language doesn't have vowels, right? It's called the Tetragrammaton, if you want to be really, you know, technical about it. But because the Jewish people revered the name of God so deeply, right? Some, we've sort of lost how to say this name, but this is the intimate name of God. Now, we've translated it Lord God. Later on, we translated Jehovah, but that word is Yahweh. And it's like God saying, yes, I created this whole thing in a week, seven days, awesome. On the seventh day, I rested. But here I want to tell you about how I created man 
And to tell you that, I'm going to use my most intimate personal name. You know, like you might call me Dr. K, but my real name's John. It's sort of like that. Yes, I'm God. But this is Yahweh speaking now. And Yahweh says in verse 7 there that he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And I can imagine, you know, God's like, all right, begins to take some dirt and some mud and he starts to mold it all together. And, you know, he starts to create the feet and he has one toe and two toes. And, oh, let's give him five toes. And he creates the right foot and he then begins to create the right leg. And then he goes over here and he creates, you know, again, the left foot. And should I add a sixth toe to that one? No, I'll just stick with five. And he creates the foot there and he starts to create the left leg. And then he comes up and he creates all those parts we use to go to the bathroom and then he moves up and he starts to create the chest and the arms and begins to create the head and then here's the big decision should i make him bald or should i give man hair he'd be awfully handsome bald i do think but now nah, let's go with hair. Hair is good. So he creates, you know, hair, long flowing hair for man. He creates two eyes. You know, he goes back to the arm maybe and he pulls out this beautiful arm and he has, creates the thumb and then the forefinger. And then, you know, again, should I create five fingers? Yes, we'll match it with the toes. And it's this idea of this God crafting this beautiful man that he created out of the dust of the earth. And then at verse seven, it says, you know, I can imagine after creating the nose, you know, a nice, long, beautiful nose. It says he then breathes into his nostrils. And man became a living soul. It says he breathes into him the breath of life. See, that's the big difference between us and the animals. You know, I hate to say this, that we were both created out of the dust of the earth, according to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. But the difference between man, men and women, and the animals is we're the only one where God breathed the breath of life into us. We are a living soul. God gave us a soul. And from that moment on, when you're born, you have a soul. Men and women have souls. We're created in the image of God. We have a soul. We're not like the rest of the animal kingdom. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, we're just the most successful species. We're, we're, we're better than the monkeys. We've just been more successful. But they might come back and, you know, they might create a whole planet full of apes. And, you know, hey, we'll do a whole series of movies out of that. But, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, that's where we're just like the animals, you know, and animals have rights, which they do. And the Bible talks about how we should treat our animals with respect. And they have all these Old Testament laws about, again, treating your cow and your ox kindly and gently, you know. Doesn't mean we should go out and abuse because we are caretakers of this world. But, don't believe them when they say we're just like the animals. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the worldview. The worldview says man and woman, men and women are special because we have a soul. And our bodies decay, and we're going to look at this later, but your soul will live forever. 
in one of two places, with God or separated from him forever in hell. And that's tough to understand sometimes, and that's tough to grasp, but you have a soul. We are different from animals, and we are the pinnacle of creation, and we're not an afterthought, and it's not bad that man's here. No, it is great that man's here. In fact, God gave us a soul, and he created man. And then it says that God created a garden to the east, so Moses is there at the promised land, you know, what we would consider Israel today. So what would be east of that? Many people think where you have Iran, Iraq, that whole area, that might be where this garden was. And the name of the garden, God called it, was the Garden of Eden. We've all heard of it, right? And in this garden, he put every tree that's awesome. And every tree that's beautiful. You know, he took the best of the best. He probably put an oak tree there. He probably put a put, put a beautiful, you know, um, aspen tree there. A beautiful pine tree. And then he had beautiful flowers. And it says that God then placed man in that garden or put Adam in that garden. Adam, that name literally means man, Adam, man. He put this man in that garden. He put Adam. Adam there to work it and to tend it and you know it's going to grow beautifully well we got to control this growth we got to tend it remember God wants us to take care of his creation and to tend it to be his caretaker I think it's also interesting that when God created man in this beautiful place and then puts him in this beautiful garden called Eden he didn't just want him to sit under a tree and do nothing all day he didn't just want him to eat the beautiful apples off the tree or the beautiful mangoes and just do nothing. No, he said, I want you to work. I've got for you a job. I just want to encourage you. Work is good. It's part of the whole creation order. Men and women are expected to work. You can't just sit around. You'll go insane. You know, if you think, hey, I'd like to just sit around all day and play video games or watch TV. You try that for two or three days. After a while, you're like, ugh, I got to have more. I got to have something more important in life. Well, God knew that. And from the beginning, he expects you to work. And he put Adam to work in his garden. And there in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about these beautiful rivers that flow through the garden. And here is Adam working away. Then he says, all right, Adam, look, I'm going to bring to you every animal that I've created. And I want you to name him. Now, remember, man's created in the image of God, right? And part of his job is to have dominion over the animals. Well, this is one of the ways man has dominion over the animals is to name each one. Okay, so I can imagine... You know, maybe Adam's standing there in the garden and he brings in the first one, boing, 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 boing. Oh, I'm going to call that, Adam says, um, I'm going to call that a kangaroo. Yeah, that's a good one. I know. You can imagine another one. Huge animal. Big, swinging trunk. And he's like, whoa. That's an elephant. We're going to call that an elephant. And then, you know, the next one he sees, oh. Ruff, ruff, ruff. He's like, whoa, ruff. Oh, wow, that's a cool animal. He's got fur, he's got a tail. 
And Adam says, hey, come over here. You are going to, I'm going to name you Dog. And you're going to be my best friend. I can imagine the dog sits there as he names the rest of the animals. You know, the next animal is meow. Ooh. Adam's like, he looks at the dog. The dog looks at him. Ugh, do we like that one? No, we don't. Ugh. Meow. Ugh. You know, I don't know if I like that one. God, everything God created was good, but that one looks a little... You know what? Uh, you know what, dog? Let's name that one Cat. Because that, that sound itself sounds disgusting. And, and that animal sort of grosses us out. Yeah, Cat. Cat. Ugh. Yeah, yeah we'll name that a Cat. And then... Ooh, rawr. he's there. Oh, there's a big cat. It's a tiger. Yep, we're gonna name that one a tiger. That's awesome. You know, you can imagine. Here's the, you know, again the gorilla or monkey or and all this. We're gonna name that moose. You know, we're gonna name that a rabbit. And as Adam begins to name it, name these animals, he begins to realize, oh, there's Mr. and Mrs. Moose. Oh, there's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cow and Bull. Oh, there's Mr. and Mrs. Deer. It says that as Adam begins to name all the animals, he begins to realize that he's all alone. Every other animal has a Mr. and a Mrs., a male and a female, you know? And here, remember, it says over in Genesis chapter 1, right, that he created a male and female. We're not to the female part yet. We've just created the male. And at this point, he says, you know, wow, in the space of all this huge, massive world, I am all alone. Even though I've got my best friend here, he's not a good helper for me. And it says that Adam realized... That there wasn't, as it says there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, that there wasn't a helper fit for him. The little word is help meet. There wasn't somebody compatible for him. There wasn't the perfect companion for him. And it says for the first time that God looked at this and he said, it is not. It is not good that man is alone. So God then put a deep, deep sleep in Adam. <sighs> Knocked him out. Totally, completely asleep. You know, and I can imagine he's sleeping by a tree, you know, after he's named all the animals. Maybe he was a little sad, and then God put him in complete, deep sleep. Then it says God took from Adam's side. Now we, some people call it a rib. You know, other people like to call it like like a piece of flesh. You know, maybe that's the better way to translate that word. And, and he closed his side and out of this piece of flesh, out of this rib, he began to create. Again, he created, you know, one, two, three, four, five toes and a right leg, one, two, three, four, five toes and a left leg, you know, and he begins to create the body and the arms and the fingers and the toes. And then he creates the face and then he creates this beautiful creature that he calls a woman. And he goes over and I can imagine wakes up Adam 
And Adam's like, oh, oh, I got a bit of a stitch in my side. Oh, I must have slept wrong. And, oh, he wakes up and he looks over. Now, the Hebrew word for man at this point, it's not Adam anymore, right? In this passage, the Hebrew word for man is ish. I-S-H, ish. And the Hebrew word for woman is isha, or isha. And I like to pronounce it isha. And I think when Adam, or the ish man, when he woke up and he looked over and he saw the woman for the first time, he said, isha. Wow, Isha, that's amazing. That's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And you know why I know that? Because the first words recorded, spoken by the Ish or spoken by man, is a poem. And Adam or the Ish, when he saw the Isha for the first time, he was so overcome by her beauty that he just broke into poetry. The first words out of man's mouth is poetry. And he says this. He, it's not that great of a poem, but he says this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman or Isha because she was taken out of Ish or man. Woo! You know, someday, and this is more directed to the kids, someday, hopefully, if you are in a young grade, if you're in fourth or sixth grade, hopefully you still find, you know, boys, hopefully you still find the girls gross. They smell of weird things. Girls, hopefully you find the guys, the boys, pretty disgusting at this point when you think, hey, they do smell. And a lot of them actually do. I just want to encourage you, you know, at this age, hopefully you don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Fourth or sixth grade, that's ridiculous. You might as well just break up now because eventually you will. Save your heart some heartache. Just break up. Get it over with. But someday... When you are in college, don't even date in high school. It's not worth it. It's just too much of a minefield. It's too painful. Just skip it, all right? But someday, when you are mature, older, wiser, you, an ish, will see an ish And you'll be like, wow, I like that ish And ish someday, believe it or not, you will look over and you'll see an ish, and you'll be like, hmm. That's a pretty good ish. I like that ish. And one day when that happens, I want to encourage you that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, you know what? When Adam or the ish saw the ish, he was overcome with joy and he broke out in poetry. And then verse 24, marriage was instituted. It says, man shall leave his family and a wife shall leave her family and they'll come together and boom, they are one flesh and they are together. And God set out there in Genesis chapter 2 what he believed marriage should be. It's one man, one woman for life, forever. You know, I think it's interesting. God didn't make multiple ishas for Adam. He only made one. 
And he says, I want one man and one woman for life. And Adam, and later on we're going to call her Eve, came together. And yes, it was beautiful. And I want to encourage you. Like I said, when you meet that ish of your dreams, when you meet your that ishah of your dreams when you're in college or older, you know, when you meet him or her, marriage is great. Marriage is awesome. Marriage is something commanded by God, and it's good. A lot of people today don't like marriage. It seems scary, or I can't imagine committing myself to one person for the rest of my life. But the Bible says that's the model. That's what I want. You can have one man and one woman for life, and that's what I want. But then, you know, some of you may not ever get married. Some of you may never meet the ish or the isha of your dreams. You know, maybe you won't. But there's another principle here too. And that's this. That men and women, or man, humanity, is made for community. It's not good, God said, that man was alone, right? And that includes the woman. It's not good that men and women spend the rest of their days alone. It's not good. You know, and there's some people who say, hey, I just want to live in my parents' basement, playing video games, you know, getting on the internet. In fact, I'm going to work an online job. I'm going to order pizza online so it comes to the door. I'm going to drop my connections with humanity as much as I can because making friends is too difficult. Getting in relationships is too messy. But man, that's not what the Bible teaches. You shouldn't try to be alone. The Bible says it's not good for humanity to be alone. We need each other. We are made for community. So I encourage you, make friends. Get out there and make some friends. Don't, don't, don't just sit at home, you know, binging on Netflix or whatever happens. You know, binge on Netflix with friends. Maybe do that. But get out there. Make community. Make connections. Get married if that's where you should go. And so, hear the ish and the isha come together. You know, what else is really interesting is the word Adam. Adam is sort of gender neutral. It's just sort of this humanity, okay? But when you get to Ish, it's very gender specific, male. And when you get to Isha, it's also very gender specific. It's female. Out of Ish came Isha, right? Out of male came female. But what I find really interesting is that we need each other to define each other. That's where genders do matter. It, it matters that says, hey, I am a man because you're a woman. And how do I know I'm a man? Because I am not like you. You are built differently. You are physically differently. There are lots of different things about you. And a woman's like, hey, part of me that makes me a woman is I am not a man. I'm not an ish. And ish are built differently. And ish have a whole different biological construct. And, and I know I'm a woman because I don't look like that. And I don't act like that. And so it's interesting to me that ish and isha. We're different, but we need each other to help us understand who we are. I understand myself better 
by living with my wife because I realize what her needs are are totally different from mine and that helps me understand myself as a man but also helps me understand her as a woman and how I can meet those needs and she sees me as a man and how I'm different and often I disappoint her in my differences but it's still awesome that we can come together and we argue over things and we deal with things but at the end of the day we come together because we need each other to help us become who we are as a man and as a woman and what we should be and so here the end of genesis 2 man and woman come together and it's beautiful in the first marriage and everything's great and, you know, I can imagine the, 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 the sun sets there. It's just a beautiful scene. And Eve and Adam are working so beautifully in the garden. Oh, man, it's a beautiful, wonderful scene. But there's somebody else in that garden. There's somebody else in that beautiful scene who hates it all and he wants to see everything destroyed he wants to see it all brought down and he hates adam he hates that ish and he hates that isha but especially he hates yahweh and he hates God and he hates everything he stands for and you know who that person is well if you come back next week we'll find out who that person is but hey I just want to encourage you as you read through Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 look for those principles those worldviews that should fundamentally change us as Christians right those biblical worldviews and at the end of the day, man, I just hope you choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to follow him because Jesus came to die for you. God, Yahweh, sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. They're all one God. I don't understand the whole mystery of it all, but I do know this, that the father sent his son, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die in our place. And I'd encourage you, Ish and Ishaz, all of us, put our faith in Jesus Christ and I'd also encourage you come back next week because we want to find out who is that person in the garden Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian edited by Lincoln Katzian if you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast please subscribe new episodes added every week 